that piece of merch was limited. You could only get it if you participated. So it created, created this strong sense of community, but it also reinforced cultural identity and a sense of team. It felt like there were a whole bunch of other like-minded non-Aboriginal people like me just waiting in the wings for the permission to be like, they were like, oh, finally, I am allowed. <laughs> we're 30-something days to go. There is time yeah. for retailers to um, step up because the last thing you want to do is look back in history and think, I wish I'd done more. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Here's your host, Bushy. Today, as always, I'm coming to you from my podcast studio here on Turrible Country. It's a land that Australia's Indigenous people have been sharing stories on for over 60,000 years. Now, as someone who shares stories for a living, not quite as well as the Indigenous people, I am in awe and respect for the world's oldest living culture. We are so lucky to share this land with them. Currently, I am thinking especially of today's Indigenous communities who may be impacted by an important but potentially divisive time in our nation's history. That's an acknowledgement or honouring that is new for Ad Descartes. It's one that I've been thinking about for a while now, and it is today's conversation that really challenged me and helped me frame it in a way that is genuine and authentic for me. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by Clothing the Gap's co-founders, Laura Thompson and Sarah Sheridan. Started as a COVID hustle when Laura and Sarah were in health promotion, Clothing the Gaps is now Australia's leading Indigenous fashion brand and arguably Australia's foremost brand when it comes to leading real social change for Indigenous communities. From their Free the Flag campaign, which ended up freeing the flag, to this year's voice referendum, Clothing the Gaps are an inspirational team who won't stop or apologise for standing up for issues that really matter to Indigenous Australians. We cover so much in this chat, from the amazing engagement metrics that they generate, we're talking almost 50% customer return rate, we'd all like a bit of that, to their battle with the American clothing giant Gap, and to the complexities around the voice for their mob. While we always aim for a diverse range of guests on Add to Cart, over the next four weeks, we've put the spotlight on Indigenous leaders and changemakers. We've got an important referendum coming up on the 14th of October, and we wanted to make sure that Indigenous voices within the e-commerce community are heard. So, thanks to our partners Shopify Plus and Paclio, here's our conversation with Laura Thompson and Sarah Sheridan, co-founders of Clothing the Gaps. Laura, Sarah, welcome to Add to Cart. Hello. <laughs> Great to have you here. Sarah, well done on making it to the recording. I understand that you kind of just jumped out of bed and got an Uber just in time to get here. Yeah, it's about four o'clock in the morning for me. I've just, um, I flew back in from Sri Lanka last night after spending some time with a trade delegation of other really lovely, fabulous, incredible Aboriginal businesses exploring different opportunities in Sri Lanka. But nowhere else I'd rather be first up, eh? <laughs> Amazing. Nothing like doing a podcast with a bit of jet lag and on a, in a tif- different time zone. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. All right, let's get into it. Laura, I want to start with talking about how Clothing the Gaps came about. And obviously it wasn't called Clothing the Gaps back then when you started. How did it come about? What was the inspiration behind the idea? Yeah, well, we started, um, Sarah and I actually worked together at the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service in health promotion. Like we're actually health promotion professionals. <laughs> what, is, what is Yeah, health promotion. So getting people to drink more water, eat more fruits and veggies, get okay. moving, those gotcha. sorts of things. So health promotion can be anything from ensuring that there's all abilities access. So something like a, a ramp is actually health promotion, a sign that says, you know, smoking here, health promotion, 40Ks in a school zone, kind of like it all sort of those things that create the environments that we want to see kind of fall under that big health promotion banner. Okay. And we did that together for a really long time. And we loved it. Like creating environments that make the healthy choice the easy choice. Yep. And we're really good at it. And um, it always reminds me, we've got some boxes at Clothing the Gaps now and they're full of costumes. And people go, why do you have so many costumes? Like health promotion engaging. Like I was a carrot a lot. Crown. <laughs> yeah. 
We were right. like, we had different characters Deadly that we dressed Dan. up as. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this whole, I guess, like this whole bit of like engaging people in a conversation yeah. and then getting them to think differently perhaps about how we move in the world and, and what environments look like mm. is nothing new for us. Yeah. Okay. So we, um, so I was Sarah's boss. Sarah started with me on a placement and then we just felt like this, it feels weird because I feel like I'm talking about my partner, but this connection. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, um, I think we just had similar work styles, work ethic yep. and energy for the job and commitment. And after working together and really growing the team um, at the Victorian Aboriginal House, we did a great job there, if I do say so myself. Like we left it <laughs> a high, right? We left it a high where we thought we should start our own health promotion business and um, that's what we did. So we started a health promotion business called Spark Health. It was, you know, humble beginnings. People really enjoyed our style of community engagement and we got to work with Aboriginal community right across Victoria, really. But we'd always been doing merch. So people often will say to us, they're like, oh, are you your health promotion, how on earth, like, where does the clothes thing come from? But if you came to four out of six of our health and wellbeing sessions, you got yourself a free piece of merch. So merch is always been there as like an yep. integral thread of the health promotion program sort of recipe forever. It's a bride basically. Yeah. No, Harry on the <laughs> <laughs> no, we created cool merch. You can only get it if you came. But what that merch actually yeah. come get bribed by the carrot and the clown. <laughs> yeah. It's what could go wrong. <laughs> That's why we're successful. Most things work like that. Community building right there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, the, you know, we, when we talk about the merch and I'm joking when it's a bribe, but people wanted to work for it because that piece of merch was limited. You could only get it if you participated. So it created, created this strong sense of community, but it also reinforced cultural identity and a sense of team. So when you roll that running singlet, you know, that those people were going to hold you to account, that those were the people that you could call if you wanted a training partner or yeah. if you were struggling with your diet, these people have got your back. Cool. Um, so unspoken connection bit through clothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been really interesting because then out of, I guess, out of we used to call it Spark Merch when we so when we launched the consultancy, the health promotion consultancy, we still launched with a merch range as well. So we had like a hoodie, a singlet and a front green, a customised front green. And it was called Spark Merch because we were called Spark Health. Yep. And we couldn't think of anything else better. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we kind of eventually got to closing the gaps, thank goodness. <laughs> Spark Merch was kind of bad. <laughs> and then lockdown happened in 2020. And then all those programs that were running at Spark Health ceased. And they were like, God, how are we going to survive? We've got no soft money, no government funding. What are we going to do? Yeah. And we're like, oh, Everyone's going to be on their phones. Content's going to be king. What about we put a little bit more effort into our online brand? We don't have a whole lot more. Mm. And that coincided with the Black Lives Matter movement and the murder of um, George, Floyd. George Floyd. And then every yeah. person wanted a black T-shirt and we had some. Yeah, okay. Mm. And that's kind wow. of how it started. Like been for so much longer than that. No, 2020 we started closing the gap pretty much. And since then, Spark's been sort of tucked in and put to bed. Okay. And Spark Health. Spark Spark Health has essentially become what we really did was we transitioned all of the health promotion Mm. programs. So what we did in COVID as well, we pivoted early, like really early. We were, it was like... I think I'd been watching too much contagion. Like I knew what was coming. It was fine. I was like, we, we really... We switched all of our programs to online really fast. Like mm. we were the ones buying um, one of those things called cameras and mics and stuff like before they all got sold out and pushed all of our programs online pretty quickly. But we knew that there was no more after that. So that's where the importance of really strengthening the brand was vital because we were kind of, was and I'm kind of like looking at the team being like, oh, my God, we, we are not going to be able to keep the team, yeah, and there were three people at the time, like Sarah and I, and one other, oh, two, two so others. We had Lena, had Lena at the time, yeah. And I think what happened with Spark Health essentially, we turned it into a, yeah, a not for profit, and it is now the Clothing the Gaps Foundation. Gotcha. So, okay. essentially, the T-shirts now fund the work of the Clothing the Gaps Foundation. Ever scrolled through an e-commerce packaging website for fun? Nah, me neither. Until today. Paclio is putting the joy into the packaging game. So let's play a game. 
I'll tell you the name of the Paclio product and you have to try and guess what kind of product they are. Fairy Floss. Compostable Mailer. Queen Bee. Honeycomb Padded Mailer. Here we go. Gummy Shark. Water Activated Tape. Now, if my jaded self thinks that this packaging is fun, imagine what your customers will think. Paclio is also eco-friendly, Australian-owned and operated, with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. Now, that's pure joy for everyone. Check out the Paclio range of e-commerce packaging options at paclio.com. That's paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, paclio.com. How long did it take you to realize that Clothing the Gaps by itself was a big enough business to go after? I think along the way it would be amiss of me not to mention that we had two lawsuits mm. in between that time, one with the Gap Clothing America for the because we're clothing the Gap yeah. and they've trademarked the word Gap and clothing as well. What was your initial reaction when you heard that was coming at you? Did you go, this is ridiculous, that'll never stand up? Or were you like, where uh, It was pretty funny. So Gap, Gap Inc. liked one of our photos or started following us or something on socials oh. and one of the team screenshotted it and sent it through. I wish I saw the text page and they were like, woohoo, how cool is this? And my brain was like, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> and then, yeah, we got the... We got the cease and desist because we're so little. We got, the, we got the notice of intent to defend their trademark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we just chucked it in the drawer for a bit and we thought we didn't have enough money because we'll still spark merch. Yeah. COVID's in the middle of COVID. How are we going to fight this back? Let's just change our name. They gave us six months. We're like, we'll just, we'll, we'll try and come up with another name. <laughs> and we did that for a bit and... You know, all the other names felt like they were trademarked as well. But in between then, we also received a cease and desist for using the Aboriginal flag on clothing. So we got the copyright and we started the Free the Flag campaign and it really said we've got a lot of media attention from the campaigning and advocacy work that we're doing. 150,000 people signed our petition, Pride Not Profit, and we found ourselves dead set in the middle of a a whirly thing, cyclone, <laughs> for two years as we fought for equality with copyright with our flag and we realised that the name become much more important to us because people were recognising us because they were not just because of the clothes but because of the work we are doing mm. in the advocacy space. You're starting out, you've pivoted the business during COVID, you're essentially starting a start-up again, doing it for all the right reasons, got a foundation behind it. And then you hit with these lawsuits and you're like, oh, we're just trying to start something, which is pretty pretty simple, really. And then it's just become overly complicated and legal. We never felt, like, honestly, like I never felt sorry for us in all of it because the eye was always on the prize. And I was always sort of surprised at the amount of people who say, I'm so sorry Jack did that to you. That was the worst thing. I'm like, that was that only impacted on our business personally, whereas the flag copyright issue was impacting on Aboriginal people and, you know, essentially Australians, you know, the footy clubs, everyone nationally, and we had a community of support. So I, I would say that I think the way that we sort of process stuff, you know, we're so small and we're so focused on the bigger picture that um, we don't really dwell in the details and no. get stuff done. And, like, it, people often say, like, oh, you know, you fought for the flag for two and a half years, good on you. I'm like, we actually fought Gap for over three. Mm-hmm. But... We didn't talk about it publicly until we had a solution. Because yeah. as Will yeah. said, that was a that was a law and I problem. Like yeah. that that really did what we called this really did, you know, at the end of the day. We knew that we our incredible community of supporters would hopefully come with us wherever we called ourselves. Yeah. So really it was just it was more of an internal issue than anything else. However, when we did reach an agreement with Gap, essentially, we lost a, a, a a court case to, it wasn't a court case, but we lost um, a trademark trademark tribunal hearing. It was declared that our brand names were deceptively misleading um, and similar, which is obviously ridiculous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) At this point, Gap had like, they'd closed all of their stores in Australia as well. Anyway, it was really interesting. And then when we went public with it, I think if, if, I really hope that it reinforced for people the why behind what we did and we didn't want to talk about. They were like, why didn't you tell us this was happening? Like we did not ever want the gap 
issue issue situation to detract from the conversation about the flag. Like we know that people have only got a, a certain amount of attention for things. If they were going to action anything, we didn't want them to write a nasty letter to Gap. You know, we're, we're big enough and mean enough and ugly enough to look after ourselves. We wanted them to focus on the flag. Yeah. yeah. And then our outcome that we were able to negotiate was to add the S, so we're closing the gaps. Yep. And obviously there was conditions around what that looks like going forward, but um, for us we knew it was similar enough to, you know, yeah. um, we're, we're happy with that negotiation. Yeah. yeah but I guess right. what we really learned within both of those pieces was the power of fashion to create change as well. So I guess before, perhaps before the Free the Flag campaign was when we sort of thought that, you know, the, the T-shirts were just the vehicle to get to the bucket of support, a.k.a. profit, to then be able to run the foundation, whereas within those campaigns and those moments we really learnt the power of the T-shirt itself to do the impactful work and then the foundation gets to add to that in the work that it does as well. So every single person who bought a T-shirt, so this is the power of e-com, right? Like when we're talking about add to cart, like, you know, e-com. <laughs> I have to remind myself, I'm like, what are we talking about again? Well, we'll come back to that e-commerce stuff soon. Don't worry about that. <laughs> every single person who bought a free flag T-shirt, that whole product page, that product description was filled with information and facts and links to here's how to write a letter to your MP and have you signed the petition yet. And then every single person who wore that T-shirt out in the world was a roving billboard having those exact same conversations to, you know, bring together people for social change to see the outcome that we eventually saw on the 25th of January 2022. So tell us about that outcome because, Laura, I can see you've got the the new T-shirt, the Yes T-shirt <laughs> with the flag on it. Um, tell us about the outcome. So I'm, I'm assuming it ended favourably. Yeah, look, it was an emotional day, I'd say. It was I remember it because it was a day before Australia Day or Invasion Day, Survival Day, 26th of January. And, yeah, it was an emotional day because it felt like finally there was we could stop fighting for Free the Flag, we could stop fighting and we could now use our platform to elevate other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander causes and campaigns and people that we could finally lay this to rest. And what we saw is that the Aboriginal flag returned to the world pretty quickly. People started using it again. We saw it back in Indigenous round in our national sports and what I will say is, you know, we realise the power of the tea, but we also realise the power of allyship and that was something new for Sarah and I. I mean, even though I'm Aboriginal and Sarah's non-Indigenous, um, we had this, you know, partnership. But in our work at VARS, we hadn't really invited non-Indigenous people to step into that. Our programs were just focused on the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. But Closing the Gaps was very much about uniting people through fashion and cause, and that was new. So... yeah. It was, like, so cool to see non-Indigenous people step into this space and say, hey, we're going to support you and these causes. And that was different for me. I think that's when we talk about the power of the tea. It's actually about how do we activate the non-Indigenous community that share some of these loads and carry these conversations to for the betterment of the whole of Australia. Mm. Into places perhaps where Wills doesn't normally or, you know, other Aboriginal people normally perhaps don't hang out too as well. Like that's the really cool part about wearing your values really is that you get to, and for me as a non-Aboriginal person, like I'm I'm in different spaces that, that Laws is perhaps not in as well and being able to wear my values is a way of being able to ensure that that conversation comes up wherever I go. Yeah, and you do such a great job of that on the website around labelling which products are ally-friendly, which ones are for mob, just to help people feel comfortable and to navigate it in a respectful way. Mm. I mean, that decision to do that in the business really come from, you know, our community who kept saying, am I allowed to wear it? Hundreds of DMs. <laughs> culturally inappropriate. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to offend anyone. I care so much about this, but I just want to make sure that I'm doing it in the right way. Yep. So it really came from that that piece of, and I can speak to that very clearly as a non-Aboriginal person, it comes from that place of wanting to do the right thing but wanting to ensure that you don't offend people in the process. Yeah. which is coming from a, a, a real genuine place of care, but it was also just getting a little bit annoying in the process. <laughs> um, <laughs> the symbolism, symbolism helped. <laughs> lady, 
It was really shame. And I guess like for people listening, if you're getting a same question you DM, mm. probably is yeah. a really great sign that if you address that, sales will probably go up. And I certainly for us, once we started labeling things as aloe friendly and mob only, we saw an increase in sales because it made people more confident to fill their car. Mm. It, it felt like there were a whole bunch of other like-minded non-Aboriginal people like, you know, like me just waiting in the wings for the permission to be like, they were like, oh, finally, I am allowed. <laughs> I needed that. It was just so weird that we needed to create a, for me, a logo, like, you know, like we talked about like the health logos, yeah, like a five-star, yeah. like we had to fully brand it, like you can wear it. Um, yeah. Like on a menu when you, you know, when you're gluten intolerant or vegan, like you just look for the little like no wheat symbol. <laughs> like that's pretty much I feel like what non-Aboriginal people do on our website now and is just like scanned like me, me, me. <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah. We made it easy. But I think that's important because, you know, what you've created is a brand and a label that is, you know, and you said it yourself uh, when we had our conversation, always with the mob at heart first, you know, that's where you're coming from. And I think that's really good and it's really important that mob have something for them. Like, you know what I mean? That that it is special and that it is a community but it is but still if you want to be involved there is a way to be involved but it is still for mob mm. and to, you talking about your backgrounds in health engagement really start, puts the pieces together for me around how you've been able to bring this community together so well and get them engaged in a passionate way one of the things you were talking about though was from an e-commerce perspective some of the metrics that you were talking about in terms of engagement purely from an e-commerce perspective, open rates, click-throughs, et cetera, were phenomenal. Not coming from an e-commerce background, tell me, how did you how did you go about getting some of those metrics? Well, I guess we didn't go out. Laws and I absolutely do not wake up in the morning and be like, do you know what I want to do today? I want to get an open rate of 22%. Like, what's that? Like, is that good? Oh, you're not, you're not living. You're not living if you're not waking up with click-through rates on, on your mind. <laughs> Like written on my bathroom mirror. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, what we do is, I guess, like as as you said, like you know, and we talk all the time about everything we do, we do with mob in our heart. And I think when whatever those values are as a brand, if you keep those values and your purpose and the why really strongly at the core of every single one of your decisions, the outcomes follow from that. Whether mm. those outcomes are, you know, seeing the Aboriginal flag be back in the public domain or being able to have. A, a really a really great business that's doing great stuff out in the world because that's really important too. It, it just it flows through. So we've got a returning customer rate of um, almost forty seven percent. Is that good, Nathan? Is that good? That is good. That is really good. Hang on to that. Yeah, right. So no, that. But what that speaks to, and that's what the one that I'm leaving with. I've got a list. Don't worry, because I had to write them. I'm not even joking. I find them and write them down before we do this. <laughs> Why I wanted to talk to that one is I think we, what we do, and I think this is one of the key things of that I think has transferred across from health promotion is that one of the key things of, of health promotion is you build a community of people who are on a journey towards something together because we know that we get the best change when we've got peer-to-peer support and you've got other people that are trying to make the healthiest choice the best choice, right? So when you've got a community of, of supporters, we don't call our customers customers there are there are community of supporters or you know for wolves that it's just this is her community and we know that when we keep them as a priority they will want to spend more time with us they want to be involved in what we're doing they're on the journey with us we're on the journey with them it's a two-way relationship it's not it's not this top down we sell stuff to you you buy stuff from us we don't see you again we actually don't know what we're selling next week <laughs> so oh, honest. Like, really? no I made this last week I wasn't sorry I'm pointing to my yes t-shirt and yeah. You know, we talk about mob at the heart and I think that's why we've been so successful is because we're responding mm. to the issues that Super are happening, agile. Yeah. those conversations yeah. in the moment. Mm. So if the nation's yeah. talking about it and it's impacting um, on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we think, well, how can, is there a piece of merch that could create a conversation about that in the world? And most importantly, to Sarah's point, what's that action that you can take whilst you're wearing the T-shirt? Um, so I think the success of the business has been built around not about the clothes, but around the education, the campaigning, 
the yeah, resources yeah. and building this community because we spend more time thinking about education and content than and less time about clothes. You know, and we were like yourself, Nathan, you're wearing our Voice Treaty Truth shirt. Um, yep. And for a while we thought, you know, there are three very important conversations and perhaps we wouldn't make a T-shirt that told people, you know, how to vote. We weren't always certain that that's what we're going to do until, you know, we, you know, I'd like to say it was more thought out until all of our guts were like, no, it's like actually we feel like we need to take that step right now and it's important that we make this tea and, you know, for the to cart people, you know, we this it's is our favourite yeah. button. Continue to sell and out of stock. So we've got a great manufacturer. Manufacturer, we knew we could turn this T-shirt over really soon. We sold it through just putting an image on Photoshop. We sold yep. 500 T straight away and we knew this was going to be a winner but before we even yeah. made any. Beautiful. And then we made our manufacturer work all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the beauty of local manufacturing, my friends. <laughs> but, like, so we, we guess the you know, everything that we do comes from conversations that are happening in community. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, like Voice Treaty Truth, like they are three really important conversations and where we started with that is just at the voice and seeing, you know, October 14 be a successful referendum is the yeah. conversation that, that we want to have right now yeah. that we hope will then lead to treaty and truth-telling in the process of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you're in a... You're in a unique position there because, yes, you are an e-commerce retailer. Yes, you're a fashion brand. But as you said, Indigenous issues and awareness raising is at the heart Mm. of everything that you do. So you firmly really plant yourself out there. I can imagine that as you are now starting to take a stand and you're putting out a position of yes, but also free the flag, you've done it, you know, you've got a history of that. There must be a certain amount of backlash that comes with that as well. I mean, it's never um, any, you know, cause that's happening within a space isn't without its complexities. And I really hope that people who know Laura and I really well and have been following the brand for quite some time understand the integrity with which we try to navigate those complexities as well. Yeah. I mean, I would, I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy for businesses to take, you know, take on social responsibility, but certainly what we've learned through the brand, and like Sarah and I have never ran a business before. Sarah come to me as a uni student <laughs> um, and, you know, certainly I spent a life working in Aboriginal community control, but people, um, we talk about self-determination a lot and I always say I've never felt more self-determined than I have in business and that is why um, I love being part of the business community because other businesses can do what we're doing as well is really step up and think, hey, you've got a reconciliation action plan, you've got corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. How can we, and might not be to the extent as clean the gaps because that's our, one of our core values, but how do we um, use our platforms and businesses to create social change? Because you know, I heard this quote once that brands have more power than um, or influence than politicians. We certainly have more followers, all the brands. <laughs> so you think about that though, you know, people listen to brands and they're a big part of our lives and we can um, use our businesses to actually mm. as a force for good yeah. really and I I love absolutely love business in that we have the opportunity to do good within the way that we do business as well you don't have to be a, a not-for-profit or you know you don't even have to be a social enterprise to do good every single dollar as a as a human as a consumer every dollar that you spend shapes the way that this world looks but as a business that buying power, those dollars are more and that buying power is bigger and that ad spend is bigger and that platform is bigger. We don't exist as individuals in silos and businesses shouldn't have the privilege to sit back and say this is not my thing to be a part of as well. Um, every single business in this country and around the world has the opportunity to choose how they show up in spaces in every moment, whether that's in their procurement or whether that's in who's on their, who's in their ads, who's making their ads, who's making people gorgeous for their ads. And we really sure saw this sort of conscious consumerism shift throughout COVID as well in that people took to brands with a different lens and really asked them what they were doing and how they were doing it. So there's, you know, brands have a responsibility and it's not okay to sit behind the C-suite door anymore and go, not my problem. Yeah. Because it is. 
And like, it's not just because it's good for, like, it is good for business, I'd say that, when you lead with your values, but you've also got an opportunity as a business to do this. You're not restricted for someone who come from government funding where the government told me what I had to talk about and when and how. And in business, we don't have any of those constraints. So we're free agents. <laughs> Do you feel there's enough businesses out there that are using their voice for good? Yeah, I think there are lots. So there, there are great examples of that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. In, we think about some of the, I'll share with you some moments for us. When we think about the Free, free the Flag campaign, um, minor figures the coffee oat coffee mm-hmm. company yep they used leveraged their advertising spend on billboards and gave us some billboards oh. yeah so My- say if they had 100 billboards in melbourne they allocated a, a percentage of those to us so they used their buying power to go back to their billboard supplier and be like throw in a couple of extra for us we are yeah, nice. and they gave them to us you know we've seen there's practice there's so many examples it'd be good to give people real like more mm. real life examples of what some of those things look like other people have done a really great job of resharing and supporting us we'll go with supporting us with content as well we worked with key the sunglasses brand play i will say for a while (laughs) 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 Um, and they were really incredible a couple of years ago um in for um a, a jan 26 campaign they came to us and literally said they were like we want to do something about this we feel like you guys are you guys are already doing it. We just want to do what you're doing and help you do it bigger and better. And they essentially gifted us a um, videographer and like a production team for the day. And together we made this really great campaign about Jan 26. Never once was that about product. It wasn't about what can you do for us. It wasn't can you put this, now that we've done this for you, can you put this slip of get 15% off your key sunglasses in all of your orders. Nothing about that. We we just partnered together on content, incredible content that made a huge difference that lightened the load for us. You know, we're tiny. We We don't have... You know, at that point, we didn't have videographers and full-scale production teams. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing yeah. I loved about that partnership with Key was that they just didn't make it for us. They shared it on their platform too. Mm. And they had, you know, I don't know how many followers, but a lot more than us, and they were reaching international audiences. And it made it super normal for non-Aboriginal brands and non-Aboriginal people to be mm. talking about Jan 26 as well. Like this was... This was two. This was nearly three years mm. ago now. Like this was before it was a bit more normalised for people to be talking about, like, oh, you know, like we don't really do the Australia Day thing. Like they were really early. Yeah, they were. They were really early in that. Yeah. And it's not just about people sharing content and working with closing the gaps. Like you know, if we talk about the you know the referendum for a First Nations voice to Parliament, what mm. we've seen in in the retailer space is a lot of businesses doing a lot of internal education with staff which is super important big organizations with tens of thousands of employees um, using the workplace as an opportunity to educate people is um, really important people say that you know workplaces are one of the the biggest sources of information for how they make their decisions about things in the world as well so not only as a business do you have an outward opportunity you have an inward opportunity as well so you have an engaged pool of people that you know when you think about your your open rate or your click-through rate you would hope it'd be pretty high for your internal staff team right (laughs) so maybe start using those as well (laughs) that's great and like for us like I always push for the visibility piece but you know the more uh, I talk to other businesses I realize their apprehension of Mm -hmm. you know specifically like talking about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues on their platform should they and are they do they know enough to do it? And certainly I think people can navigate both. At this stage right now we've seen, there's probably others, but I've seen Sports Girl make a public statement on their Instagram. I've seen Country Road do the same. We saw Qantas do a yes plan. We've seen other people take visible public stances mm. and share them publicly. And that show of support, especially when we're visibly campaigning, mm-hmm. I kind of, it just helps lighten the load a little bit. I feel like we're not alone in this, but also shout out, like these are some, you know, some huge retailers in the country, Mm -hmm. but shout out to, you know, the small businesses or the, the, you know, the SMEs that are doing this work fearlessly as well that haven't hesitated in the slightest. Like they're the ones that are, you know, when you walk down your high street shopping strip and, you know, they're the businesses that have got their, we're writing yes, we're writing yes. And they're, you know, they've got the pamphlets on the, on the counter. Like you do not have to be a conglomerate to have influence. 
influence in this space. Every single person has a circle of influence. And, you know, there's a really incredible stat from Yes23 that if everybody who's a, a diehard yes spoke to two people that were unsure about how they're going to vote or what were they going to write in that ballot box on October the 14th, we could see a, you know, we could see a yes referendum. So when you mm-hmm. break it down to the circle of influence that people have, um, it doesn't matter whether you've got 10,000 staff or, or two mm. having those conversations. Um, we've been saying for the last little while, like every conversation counts at this yep. point and it really does. You know, one of the things though that I have noticed and I think other people will too is thinking about your business, specifically retailers, thinking about what you did during the Black Lives Matter movement. Did you post a black square? Think about it. Did you post it at NADOC week? Do you have a reconciliation action plan? Did you support marriage equality? If it's yes to all of those things or to some of those, and, you know, someone described it beautifully, and I really love this, there is a lack of colour and movement in the retail space for a voice to parliament right now. We think about you going to your local shopping centre and you think about what it looked like with rainbows and that visible support. There is not that there. And... I don't want to be disappointed about it because it's not too late. Mm. You know, mm. we're 30, I don't want to know, we're like 30-something days to go. There is time yeah. for retailers to um, step up because mm. the last thing you want to do is look back in history and think, I wish I'd done more. Shopify have put together their version of the Australian e-commerce Avengers. Ten e-commerce experts, including me, unfortunately, I think I'm the Hawkeye of the group, to give you tips on how to set yourself up for success this year. You'll even recognize some of the contributors from past Add to Cart episodes. Mark Bartzer, Kelly Slessor, Paul Waddy, Lisa Jones, and more will share tips from how to create great discounts how to boost conversion rates, optimize email and SMS, even use AI to drive sales. It's all in there. I share how to set up your team for success. I can guarantee you will take at least two to three tips that you can use to optimize your sales this peak season. So put on your spandex and join the e-commerce Avengers with Shopify's free peak season playbook Download it at shopify.com forward slash plus forward slash guides forward slash peak sales season 2023 or just follow the links in the episode show notes from the device you're on. Why do you think it is invisible? I think there's fear of, of getting it wrong as well. I think which we see from non-Aboriginal people and businesses around lots of different Aboriginal causes is that they they don't they don't want to get it wrong. Mm. And I think too, perhaps some of the media's portrayal of the complexities of the conversation hasn't helped either. Yeah. Mm. I would say that the nation's divided on this issue and that racism is heavy in this country right now. And for some of the retailers, and this is public, like Big W, for example, and West Farmers has come out and supported the Voice Parliament and funded it, um, and they had some in-store promotion and they've removed it in fear of, like, the impact on the psychological safety of staff. So we've seen people play in the space a little bit and then retract. And and I think for people who are actively campaigning for a yes, it's how do we not pull it, but what are those other strategies that we can put in to support conversations in those spaces that reduce the load on staff and sort of recognising that a certain amount, a huge amount of privilege comes with those organisations to actually be able to say, it's too hard, we're not going to do it because certainly for Aboriginal people and black organisations like ours, it's hard for us too, especially so many Aboriginal staff that are feeling that the decision's about them and we're still doing it. So this allyship in retail, I really believe like post-referendum, I know personally I will look back on those retailers and say thanks for standing with us and I think community will as well because there's a certain sense of bravery that comes in it but Mm. there will be a sense of respect for them as well. Yeah. I 
was really interested by the term that you used before around complexity of going out with a message of yes from yourselves. And in our initial conversation, I was expecting um, to get on and you and I was like, oh, of course, you know, you'll be supporting yes. And you're like, well, actually, it's not that straightforward for us. Can you tell us more around the complexities behind you taking a position like yes? I think when you talk to Aboriginal people around it, it's just probably a, a, a sense of understanding for Aboriginal people who are voting no, for a lot of Aboriginal people no, voting no, and it's often referred to as a progressive no, is that they're a voting no not because they don't want a voice, treaty or truth. They just think there's a different pathway to that, but essentially we want better outcomes for mob and we don't think that the status quo is okay. So certainly, you know, we're just being sort of respectful about how do we make sure that on our journey to to making a public statement we're respectful of the mob that we keep in the heart to them and that we're not further alienating um, Aboriginal people who, who are working towards best outcomes for mob. Yeah, that's that's where we're that's where where we've been. And we're doing lots of listenings, internal surveys, surveys with our community online as well around how they're feeling about it. Yeah. With Australia's Indigenous population representing about three percent of Australia, is that right? The reality is is that the vote is going to come down to non-Indigenous Australia, really, isn't it, at 97% with equal vote. How are you seeing the positioning there between the types of groups out there that you're seeing are voting yes and voting no at the moment? I guess what we're seeing is we're seeing four sort of pretty clear pretty clear camps and on, on either sides of, you know, of the four and for your podcast listeners that aren't watching this, I'm holding four fingers up in the air. Um, on one side is people who are just like, yes, this is, this is it. There is no questions. I, this is, it makes perfect sense to me. Great decision. Love it. Voting yes. Mm-hmm. On the complete opposite side of that, so podcast listeners put four hands up in the air. One finger on the other end is absolutely yes. The other side is absolutely no, and I would I would call this a racist no. Essentially, it's it is a hardcore no. It is no that is fueled with fear and division and coming from you know places of you know, and I'm using quotation marks now for our listeners. Um, things like you know, Aboriginal people already get enough this is too much, they'll have too much power, all of those sorts of things, and they will not be swayed. They are no. And that's that's a scary no, Mm. right? Terrifying. Then there's the, I would say, like the yes and, which is sort of in the middle but leaning, like, you know, they're next to our yes, hardcore yeses. Yes and is, yes and there needs to be, you know, more, more accountability from the government. Yes and this is not... It. This is not going to solve everything. Yes, and there has to be a pathway to, to treaty. And yes, and we need more truth telling. And yes, and there needs to be bigger change. Mm-hmm. And then there's what we'll call the progressive no or the Aboriginal no, is that this is holding government. This is no because what is offered on the table right now is not enough. This is, do you want to talk to this progressive no? Yeah. So you can talk to this yeah. me. I mean, it's the we deserve more than crumbs. Yeah. We deserve more than to give advice. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be part of your racist colonial constitution. It will, you know, impact on our sovereignty in this country. Um, and we've heard people saying, sort of talking about, like, we don't need a reckoning in this country. We don't need reconciliation. Reconciliation's done. We yeah. want a reckoning, this mm. kind of. Mm. And these are the often the same people who have been challenging and fighting for justice, First Nation justice in this country their whole lives. Um, they, don't, they don't necessarily trust the government and they don't believe that the voice will deliver and that perhaps it's a distraction from the real issues that are going on and continue to go on, for example, like black deaths in custody and if you really wanted to listen to Aboriginal people, I know all the debates, then just... Listen to one of the, any of the Royal Commission's recommendations. <laughs> yeah. Do that yeah. first, you know. So I fully get that, yeah. Personally, right now what we've got is, you know, a once-in-a-generation chance to sort of 
be able to have something and it's, you know, um, I was listening to one of the senators, Jana Stewart, she said, look, if we wake up the day after the referendum with a yes, we'll wake up with more than what we had before. I see it as a small step, but certainly not the answer. I guess you would say I'm a yes and. it's, And I guess I'm also a pragmatist at heart and I like to think that I like to work towards the steps to make things better and I see this as mm. one small step for the future. Mm. Yeah. And I think in this yes and takes into consideration all of those concerns of this progressive or Aboriginal no in that this, you know, blindly running towards yes, yep, go for it, yep. They're like, yep, no, get it, but yep. But this yes and is like, yeah, hear you, absolutely. Mm. And this yes, this yes and I think is a really powerful place to be sitting in as well because we do have to hold government to account. That is so important. You know, the role of, you know, when we think about politics, like the role of an opposition party is so important because they push for the government of the day to be better because they ask those questions. They don't just let them do whatever they want. They ask those questions. So opposition, when we think about it, you know, from a broader perspective, is actually so important. It's just I just really hope that when we vote for yes, we're not voting yes to government, we're voting yes to trusting mob in this process, that they know that those concerns of the of the progressive know are genuine and real and must be taken into consideration in this process. It's just really, I think, scary mm. to sort of look at the polls right now and see um, the latest poll that only state that's, you know, above 50% is Tasmania. And one would have thought that, you know. Which is hilarious because they're the only Liberal state in the country right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a mistake. No. Um, Taz, good old, bless Tassie, they're so progressive. Well, let's let's <laughs> the polls are out. <laughs> but I guess it's really, but the, the really, just back to this, you know, four camps, mm. the really challenging part about that going into that ballot box on that day, it's not yes and please write an essay or no and please write an essay. It's just yes and no. And, you know, so often really complex issues get brought back down to this binary option of just yes and no. And I think that's the complexity of this referendum. Yeah. What do you think the impact will be on the Indigenous community if it does come back as no? People have sort of said either way. Whatever happens, there's going to be a lot of people hurting. Yep. I would agree. I'm not going to be having a yes cupcake. <laughs> if you know, I'll be thinking about yeah, yeah. The progressive no, who it's just. Um, I hope it gets up, but I think it will. It will be disappointing because you know we spoke about the progressive no, but it's such a small minority of people. Then it's not them that's actually their numbers don't make up anything in swaying the no vote. Essentially, it will mean that Australians don't want to listen to Aboriginal people on issues that are impacting on them and they don't want to see us recognised in the Constitution. That's what that will mean. And, you know, we talk about it being a very modest ask. It is. So for Australians to vote no to that... I think it would be shameful. Mm, I think we will look back on this moment. If it's if it's a no, I think we'll look back. History will look back on this moment and really question what the heck was going on in the country at the time. And they'll be right because I think one thing that this referendum has really uncovered is there's a lot of work to do in this country and that's exactly why we do what we do. I'm going to cry at that. <laughs> Mostly because I'm really tired. Um, but I think something that this referendum really has brought to life very, very quickly in this country. And, and you know, and for Aboriginal people, you know, I, I would never speak to that experience, but I'm sure this is not a, a foreign, unfortunately, foreign experience. But Australia is a really racist country. And that's the centre, like that is a statement that for so many white Australians, they are very uncomfortable to hear. But if you look at the media right now, you look at, you know, anybody's Facebook feeds, it's there, it's blatant, and it's, time for Australia to sit back and look at that and go, we can choose right now whether or not this is how we're going to continue or whether this is the line in the sand that I hope this reckoning comes from, mm. to be honest, that this this is enough. Yeah. It's a huge moment for Australia and I think, you know, what you said there around it's not so much about the Constitution and, you know, this isn't the moment that we've ticked the boxes and, hey, we're all all together. It is a sig- symbol of, of how open we are to proper reconciliation. 
so yeah, I I, I hear you, and I, and I think it's really important that people use their use their vote well. Nathan, do you mind if I ask you a question? Yes. <laughs> you know, you are wearing the Voice Treaty True T-shirt. Mm. Have you worn that out in the world, and has it sparked any conversations? I, to be honest with you, I haven't because I ordered it just before our chat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I will. I absolutely yeah. intend to because I went to buy one. I went to buy a yes one um, because I read the book around voting for yes that was written by Kerry O'Brien, I think. Mm. Um, and that, and I can't remember, there was, an, oh, it was a, uh, someone else who wrote it as well. But I read that in one day and I totally understood actually how simple the question was mm. and the impact that it can have and how it was wrapped up in the Uluru Statement and the context of it to, to exactly what you've been talking about, that this is just one thing that we're talking about. This isn't everything. This is just the start of, of everything. And that's where I went, voice treaty truth is actually more important than saying a yes shirt for me. So this is something that I bought because I go, I can wear this well beyond mm. the vote. So I absolutely intend to. And I got inspired because at my gym, there's actually someone who wears, has started wearing a yes shirt to the gym every day without fail. It's not a gym shirt. And it's like, I'm like, yes, that's what we've got to be mm. doing. So yeah, um, absolutely my intention. But it only arrived. What was it? What are we recording now? Tuesday we arrived on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Good delivery, though. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing you did, and I like being challenged, I think it's really important, the thing you challenged me on in our initial chat was why I don't have an acknowledgement of country at the start of Adcart. So I am totally open to it, and I, I think if I'm honest, there's that sense of not wanting to be a tokenistic ritual or something that you record once and then go, yep, Gil, my producer, just put this at the start of every episode yeah. to make it look like we're doing something. And then there's also the thing of, you know, where does it go? Does it always, is it just for physical events? Does it belong on a podcast? Will listeners go, you know what I mean? Is it, where does it fit? So I'd love to understand more from you around acknowledgements to country, why they are so important, firstly. And how to do acknowledgements that are meaningful and relevant, whether you're an ally or whether you're a mob. I might let says take mm. chat to this, but I might just start by saying, Nathan, thank you. Thanks for being open to having this conversation and to exploring it and to sort of doing that internal reflection yourself about what it looks like for your podcast. Mm. I think they're all really common question so I'm actually really glad that we're having this chat because and it's, it's that same exact same piece we were talking to before about non-Aboriginal brands and, and trying to work through how they talk about the voice they don't want to get it they care so much about it but they don't want to get it wrong so often when I ask people um, when I ask other non-Aboriginal people like oh you know I just noticed that you didn't do an acknowledgement do you want to chat to me about like do you have any questions about like you know I'm a safe person to chat this through like let's chat um like I just I didn't want to pronounce it wrong. I didn't want to offend anybody, all of those sorts of things. So they're super normal. And I've been there too. Like I've, I've absolutely been there when I first did an acknowledgement. I was like, I have got no idea and I really don't want to stuff this up because it comes from a genuine place of care. But I think one of the things that I have found really, really helpful in this whole navigating the acknowledgement of country pieces is that shifting the word acknowledgement to honouring has been a huge change, I think, in the way that I think about an acknowledgement of country. When you acknowledge something, it's got that, even the way that you say acknowledge, like it's kind of a bit like, ooh. Um, <laughs> when you say honour, you actually have to smile when you say it. Yeah. And it's this heart shift, I think, of when you really think about what it means to honour something. And it, it, it is an honour to live on unceded sovereign Wurundjeri land where Laura and I are coming to you from right now. Like I think about living on Wurundjeri country every day and that's that's a privilege and I want to honour that and Wurundjeri elders. And I can't encourage people enough to shift away from I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the people that we'd like. You don't need to say 
that and honoring of country could be as simple as you know we get to have these conversations with you on unceded sovereign wurundjeri land and you know it's a pleasure to get to do the work that we do and we're grateful for the for Wurundjeri elders that share their knowledge and stories with us so that we can you know we can have that connection to this land through them as well and it doesn't have to like and it could be you know I went for what who, whereabouts are you again Nathan whose country are you on and terrible people terrible people so it could be this morning you know I was running on terrible country and I was just thinking yeah. about this podcast today and yeah. you know I was I was you know in watching you know the sun come up over over the river and I was thinking about how terrible people have watched that sunrise for tens of thousands of years before me yeah hey Laura and Sarah where are you tuning in from yeah like it doesn't have to feel stiff it can be like it should just be weaved into a natural opening of thinking about who we are because it's that it's applying that decolonization lens of we were not you know for me as a as a white settler on this land, I was not here first. There's a deep, beautiful, rich history that we can speak life into in so many different moments throughout our days and an acknowledgement of country is one way to do that but just shifting away from the stiffness so that it doesn't feel tokenistic, so that it feels like a part of your you know, your reflective practice in the morning or when you're opening up a chat, like rather than saying like, oh, you know, where's your favourite coffee shop? I'm like, oh, it's amazing. It's on Wurundjeri country. It's just down the road. Like how do you, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that shift from the acknowledgement to honour because I, I feel we've kind of got to that point with acknowledgement where before it was unusual but now it's you kind of see it everywhere, which is good. But now because there is such a templated version of it mm. out there that it can become wallpaper if no thought or mm. heart has gone into it as well so i love that version of going to an honor what do you honor about the people that have come before you and what you what you are doing today and yeah um, i think says is right like for today nathan you could have started with honoring the country that you're on and honoring aboriginal people in the middle of this um national debate yep. and thinking about them like how is it relevant how might this honoring country be relevant to what's happening in politics, what's happening in the community around you. It's NAIDOC week, celebrating, you know, whatever it is. Like I think moving away from that, giving an opportunity to think about how it connects to your day or an opportunity to reflect at that time is important. Um, Certainly for me, even starting this podcast, not having that acknowledgement at the front, I I personally, I'd say felt it. For me, it really, as an Aboriginal person, sets the tone of, creating that safe space to sort of step into to delve deeper into the issues because we started on, I'd say, common ground Mm -hmm. that we've got this respect for First Nations people and acknowledgement that we'll hear first and then being able to lean into that then feels like um, we've created a safer space. So I I would say as an Aboriginal person it's, it's noticeable if it's not there, not to say that you want it to be tokenistic, but it is. It feels like a missing and it does allow you to lean in to that person a little bit more knowing that, you know, they've at least taken the time to know whose country that they're on um, and all those things so that makes building a relationship, you, you've got a, a nice starting point. I mm. yeah. And I think for for other guests as well, it's an opportunity to either knowledge share about the countries that you're, yeah. you're coming from different tuning in from different places, it's a really lovely opportunity to knowledge share. And then for you, Nath, if you're chatting, like doing your pre-chat with guests that, and letting them know that at the start of our chat, you know, I'm going to talk about terrible country and I'm going to share something, I'd really love for you to start thinking about the country that you're in and perhaps that might challenge them a little bit and perhaps might, if they're a non-Aboriginal person as well, it perhaps might actually in, require them to go and do some homework and that's an opportunity as well. I love it. Forgiveness is, you know, it's the something that it's low risk that they can easily build into their, you know, 
into their carts. I want to say into their carts with Australia's post uh, traditional place names that they've got. You know, we've you know we're early adopters of that, adding an extra field. So shout out to the incredible Rachel McPhail. Australia Post eventually came on with the program. <laughs> So all it is, so if you're in Shopify, all you need to do is, and like any of your major e-com platforms will have the exact same process in the background, I'm assuming. All you need to do is you just need to jump into your language settings and just change company name to traditional place name. And that will enable people when they're filling out their address to say like, so it'd be for us, it'd be, you know, send it to Clothing the Gaps. We're at 744 Sydney Road, Brunswick, Wurundjeri Country. And then you can put in the rest. So being able to just layer those those decolonized moments into every single day and to make it really normal to to center language and truth telling essentially in so many different ways is so exciting. Yeah, it is. Do you have hope that, say, even one generation's time, that Australians will be more connected to the traditional names and backgrounds of the land that they're on? A lot of people at the moment are still learning what land they're on. But do you think that will be natural in one generation, two generations? Hope so. Yeah, I really yeah. hope so. Look, there's more and more of it happening um, in kindergartens, in school. Mm. Qantas changed their flight their flight paths to the traditional name and lots of people miss their planes. <laughs> um, but there's more and more companies too that are willing to like step in and try and at least use English name and a, a traditional yeah. place name, so we start to build that education. So for me, those shifts there, your the baseline, um, and for businesses, you can definitely you can definitely start there and build. Sarah, Laura, we've run out of time. I love this chat, and thank you for everything that you've shared. You've been incredibly open, honest, and I know you've got a lot going on at the moment. So I appreciate your time. Tell me what's coming up next. What's your focus for the next 12 months for Clothing the Gaps? I just wanted to say, because we never talk about it, that we're a B Corp and a social enterprise and we actually do really good business. Um, but um, we talk so much about the issues. I guess our focus is it's hard to think for us post-referendum, yeah. but that's only like 30 days away. Mm. I think for continuing, I think, to and knuckle down internally, I think, for us and still we still have grown quickly. I think yeah, we've grown we've grown enormously, yeah, we've grown enormously over the last couple of years. So I feel like I guess as well for your listeners. So Laura's our CEO and obviously we're both co-founders, mm. but Laura's is our CEO, but I would say your role is really around like brand and like cultural and creative direction mm. really and then I look after sort of more of like the operational side of like stuff that happens in the back end for two reasons one is because if I was left to design the t-shirts we wouldn't have a brand um, <laughs> but also because as you know being an, an Aboriginal social enterprise and B Corp it is actually really important that Laura's leading all of what that looks and feels like and then for me I, I look after yeah as I said like the operational behind the scenes sort of stuff so for the last 12 months we've been working really hard at scaffolding some very quick growth and ensuring that our processes and governance and structure really hold that. As Laura said, we're a B Corp. We certified with an incredibly high score in the top 5% of B Corps in the community category around the world, not just in Australia. Yeah, well done. Yeah, we're, we're in like the top 10 B Corps um, from a score perspective in Australia. So, wow. yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. And... I guess for the next 12 months, um, you know, if we do everything that we do, and we've spoken about a lot we do with, with what in our heart, but our core values are to elevate, educate, advocate and motivate. And I don't see any of that, any of that changing at all. We want to, we, you know, we've got work we need to do around um, education campaigns around no room for racism. We want to see our platforms, our social media platforms safe for mob. That's important for us. So it's about you know, finding space to actually create good content that, you know, hopefully we can share with businesses as well so they can make sure that um, that's something we're passionate their platforms are safe for Aboriginal people mm-hmm. and for Aboriginal people to visit. And, and all platforms should be. If you're a business, I think this is probably like the last thought that I want to leave businesses yeah. with right now. If you are a business and if you have social media, it is your responsibility to moderate the comments. It is not your supporters' responsibility to go in there and fight for you or fight for for what's right in your comments, you post it, it's yours. You leave it there, it becomes your opinion. Racism is not 
free speech. Racism is actually hate speech and hate speech is a violation of human rights law. It is illegal. If you have racism living on your platform, you need to block and delete those people and you need to make sure that you're setting the standard of what you want to see happen in your socials. It is not good enough. You have a duty of care and you must do it. So when we see people like Stan Grant leave, you know, mainstream media because they're done with the social media environment that is horrific at the moment and in the lead up to the referendum is only getting worse it is so important that if you moderate a social media channel you must be doing it fiercely and consistently finally i would say there's power in that there's power and control in that so if you're a business and you want to post about something in support of you know the yes campaign and a voice do it Turn your comments off. Yeah, and if you're not sure how, you, <laughs> how the people at all you are going to do that, just turn the comments off. It's Let really it interesting Country Road. I've heard um, one of the directors twice say L there said, if you don't want to shop with Country Road because we're supporting a yes vote, then you're not our, the customer we want to have. Yeah, beautiful. And mm-hmm. uh, like you said, we've got one chance at this to be on the right side of history. All right, if people want to learn more, maybe even get in touch, maybe even go out and buy a Yes T-shirt to show their support, uh, what's the best way for them to go about it? They can even get a pin, start with a pin, and give us a follow. Just buy a T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> or like follow us, um, and that's because we want more followers. We're just pumping out great content at the moment, I will say it. We've been spending yeah. all our time doing content, and, yeah, we've got great information and um, that you can sort of... We, you know, we spend a lot of time that we curated for an audience that we think will, you know, mm. move hearts and minds. Mm. Learn more, come on the journey, follow us at, at Clothing the Gaps, and then you can find us at clothingthegaps.com.au. Beautiful. Or visit us in Brunswick, Wurundjeri country. There we go. Laura, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. I've loved our chat, and um, good luck for the coming weeks, and I've got no doubt your mission's going to get bigger and stronger from here. Thanks, thanks, I am so incredibly grateful to both Laura and Sarah for joining me for that conversation. When I was discussing the potential of doing this episode with them, we had a really lengthy chat. We'd booked it in for half an hour. We ended up talking for an hour and a half. I went in with a lot of preconceptions that were overturned or challenged, and I'll always be grateful to both Sarah and Laura for taking the time to share their viewpoint. It's not their responsibility. After all, they're running a business in a difficult economy. That's enough burden. They're being extremely generous and vulnerable in doing so. Here are three of the many lessons that I took from our conversation. Number one, fix it. Don't DM it. When Sarah and Laura kept getting asked the same question as to which piece of clothing allied supporters could wear, they bit the bullet and labelled them on the side. Not only did it reduce the customer service time, it actually immediately increased sales. Maybe it's time to look in your inbox for sales ideas. Number two, deliver to traditional lands. I didn't realize that it was so simple to be able to change delivery addresses to traditional place names. Australia Post are on board and most e-commerce platforms such as Shopify will allow you to do it with a simple change in language settings. If you want to show your support every day, this is a very visible and meaningful way to do it. And number three, Brands have powerful voices. While we individually get one vote, brands have a much larger influence. Sarah and Laura gave the example of Minor Figures, Key, Sports Girl, Country Road and Qantas using their voice for good. It doesn't even need to be a hardline position. It can be purely used to spread truthful information to help customers, teams and communities make informed choices. If your brand is an advocate for Indigenous communities, There's never been a more important time to get vocal than right now. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addtocart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to esuitetalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening and until next time, 
keep those customers adding to cart.